Hi guys, here we are today with uh, Senior Vice President John Forrester at Oculus. Uh, John, great to have you with us. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Great to be here and thank you so much for having me on the show, Lawrence. No, well, thank you. I mean, and again, it's always nice to see that amazing uh, backdrop you've got there. So, uh, uh, beautiful scenery. Um, Keeping the green. Keeping yeah, the green no, in the summer. Very, it's very nice. It's, it's actually very hot today here in London. So, uh, yeah, what, we're trying to make the most of the weather. But enough of that. Talking about Oculus, um, obviously you guys taking the world by storm. Um, it would be great to be, to be able to start off uh, talking about the company history, how you guys started, and really what your overarching mission is moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Oculus uh, was founded in uh, 2014, uh, and uh, we've been really focused and committed to the, the lending market and uh, really specializing in helping lenders generate more efficiency um, and generating uh, just a lot more um, you know, revenue for them, um, more productivity, and um, working with them and partnering with them with our, you know, AI and human the loop uh, technology um, to drive um, high accuracy when it comes to extracting information from the documents that are submitted by borrowers to them uh, to ensure that they can really get um, um, a high level of insights around the financial details that are provided to them, whether it's a small business loan or whether it's a mortgage or a consumer loan, like an auto loan. Um, and we're really committing to, to bringing out that uh, partnership to ensure that um, all of their underwriting process goes very smoothly um, and that they can uh, partner with us to, to really ensure that they can get more insights into the, the borrower pr profile and do it from a data-driven perspective and uh, lines up really well with our mission of, of inclusivity in lending and how data-driven uh, decisions can help to eliminate bias in lending. So it's something that we're really passionate about and uh, we've had a strong growth. We raised a $80 million Series C uh, last fall and uh, you know, doubling our revenue uh, year over year, growing our customer base. And uh, we really, uh, really have some, some top uh, mortgage uh, originators uh, out there in the market that um, have helped us um, to, to really uh, scale up their business and uh, scaling up their, their customer experience as well. And what does that look like for a company when all of a sudden overnight, you know, they've raised $80 million? How, how, how does it change? The, the mission, if at all, how does it speed up the mission? How does it help you guys get to the next stage? Absolutely, you know, in fact, um, COVID really did a number on like all kinds of businesses and that's including lenders and mortgage markets. But you look at the world of like small business lending, what happened to small businesses during COVID? Their business was decimated, And as a result, the government responded with a payroll protection program or PPP to, to make sure that they could provide support for these small businesses uh, during this whole process. But um, as part of it, uh, what we saw is that there was a real difficulty for small businesses to be able to get even access to the capital that the government was provided because there was just uh, like so much bias in lending. So when they would go to traditional banks or traditional lenders, um, the same sort of biases that, that um, happened out there um, were happening in the market. So a lot of the customers that we worked with in terms of like larger, um, 
uh, online uh, digital lenders that were using our technology were able to make more data-driven decisions. Um, it really was a, a big difference for, for a lot of these small businesses. Uh, so we actually, we did a, a study where we participated in the NYU Stern study, and we um, found that like um, uh, using data-driven decisions, we were able to lend to Black-owned businesses at a rate of like over 30%. Compared to the traditional larger banks um, uh, that were lending the, in the small business, uh, the PPP lending, that were lending at rates of like three to eight percent. So you could really see the dramatic differences that data-driven decisions made for these various um, small businesses, and how important inclusivity in lending is to give equal access to capital to all businesses, uh, regardless of race, ethnicity, or location you know, demographics, where you're living, et cetera. It's very important uh, to really, um, you know, focus on on the, the, the data and the facts um, versus any of the, the biases that are out there. And, and again, I mean, with that, with your customer base, everyone needs your product to some extent. Every business needs your product to some extent. So how do you guys go about deciding, you know, which uh, markets to target? You know, let's get some like insight into like who who your customers like really are because it must be quite hard for you guys to say actually, you know, we're going to focus on this this sector and for now we're going to really um, we're going to push or we're going to push in this area and we're going to really like focus on this niche. How do you guys go about making that decision? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, so I, I think um, you know finding that product market fit is uh, always a crucial crucial decision. Uh, when you're developing a, a platform or a product um, is, is to understand the personas, understand the, the target audience market, understanding the need. And then for us as a new startup, and this is you know my advice to any entrepreneur out there is to always understand what your team is, is capable of and what your platform is capable of and what is the right mar market. And what we've seen out there actually in the in the market, especially around document automation, there's quite a few vendors that have claims, you know, to be uh, IDP vendors or intelligent document processing vendors. They've launched very horizontal products, typically machine-only uh, products, and we were one of the first to really pioneer doing both machine combined with um, human-to-loop verification and labeling, and then all the internal workflow validations to really provide our customers with something that's suitable for their industry and their needs. So what we did is we talked to a lot of customers out there in the lending market, small business lending, consumer lending market, mortgage market. We did a lot of formal research, um, uh, both qualitative and quantitative research to test some approaches that, that looks like a really strong specific need. And so, any other, you know, uh, any other startup out there, you just got to talk to a lot of startup. You got to talk to a lot of customers. You got to early understand your persona and you got to figure out and then validate um, a hypothetical build sort of scenario with um, mapping to like a specific need. And then, um, you know, going through and doing some really good in-depth betas and getting some really good validations and responses and then bringing it out and, uh, you know, testing for those um, uh, the actual product market fit. So that's the approach that we followed and it, and it worked really well. We also looked into the tangential markets, you know, like so, uh, for instance, in small business lending, we knew like there was a tangential market into the non-QM mortgage market since um, so much of the, the non-QM uh, deciding factor document were on 
on bank statements and cash flow analysis and analytics. And it was like, it's a really important criteria for that market. And then from there, we expanded deeper into the QM mortgage market space as well. So building anchor by anchor, those foundational elements that led to, uh, you know, kind of us to expand to success. And is it then a case that your product market fit has to evolve? You know, what I would say is that um, if if you always want your product market fit to evolve, I think it's important. I think um, once you established product market fit, you still want to innovate beyond that into a new capacity, which unlocks potentially new markets, new, new customer set, has additional new value propositions, um, and eventually will lead to uh, let's say an enhanced or expanded platform uh, beyond maybe like your original value propositions. Like for instance, you know, you could say your original value propositions are more about, you know, operational efficiency, OPEX, you know, cost improvements, et cetera. But then you, you bump into an area that could lead to strong revenue drivers um, or strong, you know, improvements, competitive advantages in the market. That's something that Oculus we noticed was that, um, we're able to um, significantly improve the borrower's um, experience by um, dramatically uh, improving the time from the application to the loan funded. And that's so important. If you look at like in the mortgage space, 45 days, 60 days, mortgages take a long time, very oh, manual. And we've been able to, yeah. We've been able to shave off at least like a week of that period of time, which is which is dramatic improvement in customer satisfaction, net promoter scores for customers on the small business lending side, you know, what's taken 24, 48 hours to make a decision could be brought down to a few hours or in some cases maybe even an hour. So that 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 is a crucial um, differentiator. So um, I, I do think that product market fit needs to be tested regularly, especially when you expand the value proposition. So one, one mistake we made at Rayon, or I made, uh, admittedly, was that we didn't do enough like testing. We didn't do enough like speaking to customers when we first started. And it was only when we went back and we said, right, we've made tons of mistakes. We're going to do two things. We're going to build an advisory board. And we're going to spend the next six months only talking to customers. And we were very fortunate that we were able to do it. And I think that I met my team and I, we met with over like 400 companies and it really allowed us to just, and I, they were kind enough to like, they gave us at least an hour, maybe two hours of their time. And it allowed us to really just understand the intricacies of the problem. You know, it's, it's all, it's very easy to think that you've got the right idea and, you know, this is what we're going to do and be super bullish. It never, ever works like that. And it had to really just be a, almost like a process where, That's right. yeah. And, and, you know, and we're very fortunate that actually had we not really focused on that qualitative and quantitative information, we wouldn't have been able to make the data-driven decisions we now make. And we certainly wouldn't have the product and not just that, the, the roadmap that we currently now have. So yeah, I mean, yeah. You guys have taken that's very true. Let's we'll say that again. Oh, sorry, I was saying, yeah, you guys have taken on the world like very early on. I mean, is this something whereby like the founders kind of that they, they you know they weren't happy with the way in which it was currently working? They were like, actually, this is the problem that needs to be fixed, and we know we know how to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at you know, we were promised a paperless world 
uh, many years ago. I mean, I, I, I can remember, you know, the days in which oh, paper is going to go away, but the reality is, you know, even though uh, folks can access um, a lot of this information, maybe through digitally or, you know, a plaid connection or something, you know, access consumers, you know, generally with borrowers, they like to just submit paper and that is the preference. And uh, it's very slow and cumbersome. And if you look in this world where so much of the world's data, thanks to Google and others, is, has been digitized and metadata is accessible to find that information very easily. Um, when it comes to the world of lending, it's just a big problem out there. It's just large teams of manual folks reviewing documents manually, yeah. <laughs> data entry manually. Yeah. And this is crazy. I mean, if you look at, you know, wh why most small businesses during the PPP program weren't able to get access to this forgivable loans from the government was, it was just that the banks and a lot of large institutions that were standing up a PPP program were not able to hire enough people fast enough to review all these documents manually and enter in all these documents and then like make a decision of whether or not they can fund or not. And so that's just wild. It just shows how inefficient the structure is and their inability to scale teams. I'll give another good example is not like in the mortgage industry, like scaling up teams um, is uh, was very difficult in the refi boom. And like they were hiring humans left and right. And then they're higher in fire cycle and now interest rates are going up and like there's less people doing refinances then what do they have to do they have to like fire the people and let them go and it's just traumatic and like the ability to scale efficiently through technology um, and to avoid the higher and fire cycle is is also core tenant of what um, our founders were really looking at um, in uh, in building a solution like aquilus and of course, I mean, with yourself, I mean, you know, you've obviously got a lot of experience in this area. I mean, what, what, what's your background? You've obviously had quite a few past successes yourself, um, as you and I, you know, have, have touched on. Yeah, so. yeah. So I'm a Silicon Valley native, uh, and uh, you know, worked at companies like Apple and Microsoft and Samsung, uh, VMware, uh, and uh, Ring Central. Uh, their head of uh, product marketing through their uh, IPO, and uh, I've also helped start um, startups and scale them up. And uh, really uh, excited to be here at Oculus and uh, ramping up um, everything that we're doing on the product and on the, on the growth side, and just you know just drive a lot more um, value um, to the industries that we're wanting to serve. Um, aligned with our, our mission, which is really helping to improve the lending experience for all the borrowers out there. And me, knowing that it's been very painful for myself and very painful for, you know, others to, you know, to, to, to go through that process and, and how can we make that a much easier, um, you know, simpler experience and uh, also more inclusive uh, process for more borrowers out there in the market. And how does Oculus compare to the other companies that you you know um, you've been? At? I have to say, you, you know, one company you mentioned there, like Ring Central, I think uh, one of my companies, you know, they were an early adopter um, of, sure. of products there. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think at the time it was fairly like revolutionary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, launched Ring Central into United Kingdom, and I think we we talked about it before, which is pretty cool. And uh, you know, like uh, dealing with all the different uh, telecommunications uh, in the backdrop in UK compared to the United States or Canada, where Ring Central had been previously on, and figuring out that whole infrastructure and getting the product out into market, and and you know, just the uh, uh, you know, it's 
classic Silicon Valley, very scrappy, very disruptive. You know, like Ring Central was disrupting this old legacy PBX market and old obsolete phone system market, phone systems stored in a server in the closet. Why not do it in the cloud, make it more scalable, make it more accessible, make it more mobile friendly, make it more text friendly, more video friendly. And, you know, I mean, the world has, was shifting away from, you know, old legacy systems and people were wanting to, uh, you know, more agile communication environment for their business employees. And uh, RingCentral really sat on the pivot point of there and we were scaling uh, like, crazy to meet up with the consumer demand. And I, I think that that's, a, that's, that's just a, a really appealing factor is when, when consumers themselves are demanding a different way and going to different alternative solutions, then it's very necessary for um, you know, companies uh, to, to be able to innovate and provide what the consumers really need. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the same with Oculus. The borrowers, the consumers are demanding a better experience when it comes to to uh, to lending, and uh, you know they're taking their wallet, share wallet, to these new innovative fintech providers, and as a result, uh, traditional banks um, are are definitely innovating and investing a lot more in uh, their IT transformation efforts um, to stay um, competitive in the market. So I love it when consumers lead the charge towards uh, you know demanding a, a significantly improved uh, uh, outcome and experience uh, in markets because it, it leads to change. Well, do you know, I always say, like, I think now that we're kind of sitting at the dawn of a new era of capitalism. Yeah. And th th there's definitely, and I kind of think you've touched on this anyway, but, you know, there's a lot of challenges to um, fintech companies, startup companies, and especially in the lending industry as a whole. Um, what, what impact are things like rising interest rates, right? What, what, what is that going to have inflation? How is that going to play out in terms of the, um, the market, in terms of the business market? Sorry, I, I, it's I, never, I, never, I never said the, the questions were going to be easy. Um, no, this is great. Now, this is something I've been spending a lot of time on actually recently, which is like all the macroeconomic changes that are going out in the market. And like, you've got this world in which there's high, high demand for um, hiring, right? Significantly high demand for hiring, a shortage of um, uh, role, you know, folks available for both professional like in uh, um, and service jobs. Like, I mean, across the board, there's just super high demand, low unemployment. Um, so high demand for goods and services, mortgages, buying houses, and um, out of control inflation, you know, due to a high available of, of, of capital and funds and money to, to go and purchase goods. And so as a result, and there's also another big overlap, which is COVID still lingering, supply chain factors still impacted from, um, from China specifically. And, uh, you know, in Shanghai, a lot of the ports closed down, like there's still a, a big negative impact on supply chain globally, and that is affecting prices. Um, and then, um, you know, there was a huge raise in uh, commodities and uh, commodities skyrocketing so that, you know, a lot of the end products were being you know, passing on a higher cost due to higher commodities prices. And so it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, to see uh, any sort of patterns from like previous activities. In fact, in, in a lot of regards, it's, it's unprecedented and, and it is leading to a lot of consumer confusion and consumer hesitancy. You buy a mortgage and you know, your rates are five and a half percent compared to two and a half or three percent. I mean, that translates to a significantly higher out-of-pocket expense 
So then rents look more attractive. So then we're seeing rents skyrocketing also, especially like in New York City area, which is where Oculus is headed. Um, I don't know about in there in London. London um, and so it's more, very, yeah. similar, very similar. Um, but so the, the, like, the house prices are going through the roof. There's no house prices, yeah, yeah. Right. There's people no correlation between what people are earning and the, the, the value of the homes that they're actually living in. There's a lot, there's still a lot of speculation out of the market. There's still a lot of folks that are, you know, buying homes and, you know, apartments or flats or other things and doing Airbnbs and other things. So that, that's still, that's the amount of speculation is still happening in the market. Um, and, um, you know, like there, there's, there's also uh, quite a few consumers that, you know, they're starting a family, they're getting going, they like just really want to have that. Um, solidity and assurance of owning a home for the long term and um, not having so much variability. Because imagine if you're a renter and you're paying, you know, you've been paying maybe $1,700 a month and then suddenly your landlord you know, raises your rent to $2,500 a month or $3,000 a month. Like it's, it's really difficult. Like if folks either have to move to find a lower cost or it's very disruptive and settling. And so for a lot of folks, they're just looking for a bit more of you know that assurance, and they're willing to tolerate the higher prices um, because they they want to avoid any potential future risks. And so I think that's still why you're seeing a strong demand on the home purchases, especially for the new home purchases. Refinancing, we've seen a dramatic reduction in the refinancing due to the higher interest rates, of course. But um, on the new home purchase, it's still very strong. We're still seeing very strong demand. We're seeing strong demand even on the small business lending side. We're seeing very strong demand on the auto lending side due to the fact that, uh, you know, if you go in and you try to buy a car in the U.S., it's very difficult to buy a car. And most of the, the folks are, are demanding that you get a loan as part of the purchase versus, you know, paying cash or others. So that, that's just some of the macro factors that are all playing into um, uh, the, the continued strength in, uh, in, in lending. I, I actually read, and, and don't quote me on this, but um, I, I, read, I read in a UK newspaper that, you know, in parts of the US, people were spending more on their car payments a month now than they were on their actual rent. Um, I think that's also very high. I mean, and I mean, I mean that, that's it. I mean, obviously, there's there's many challenges to fintech and and the lending industry that goes mm -hmm. way beyond the realms of just inflation. I mean, I mean, is there any are there any key challenges that Oculus have um, uh, personally like outlined or identified that that they feel that are going to be challenges for the fintech sector and for, I guess, the lending industry. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, generally the data that we've seen on the fintech sector um, is, yes, there's, there's in the public sector for public fintech companies, there definitely has been a significant um, reduction in uh, share prices for fintechs over the last six months or so. And uh, it, it, it's, it's definitely been uh, challenging for a number of folks out there in the market. On the private sector, uh, we've definitely seen, uh, you know, be more efficient be more efficient with capital, be more efficient on, uh, you know, the, the direction that you're going. And I, we think that that's prudent. Um, Acros has always been a more conservative co company. And we've always tried to, to make sure that with growth comes responsibility. I think it's prudent and important for any, any um, private uh, tech company out there. Um, I have a lot of uh, connections in the, in the VC 
um, space and what I'm hearing for a lot of you know, early stage companies is yeah, just be be more um, cautious and uh, you know do focus on uh, growth and focus on drive to profitability. And uh, yeah, that's 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 a philosophy that I've strongly um, agreed to and adhered to. And I, I think it's just very prudent for any any startups to make sure that you have a line of sight to future profitability. Versus, I would say the 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 mood and the 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 focus several years ago was more you know drive for gr- growth at all costs. Yeah. But I think I think that that's uh, the pendulum has definitely swung. The times they are changing. It's quite the times they are changing, and it's a good thing. It's a good yeah. thing. Well, I mean, you know, Oculus openly do a lot um, to support small business lend, uh, to support small businesses overall. Um, I mean, in terms of small businesses accessing capital, how are you guys able to minimize bias in, in the lending area? Yeah, definitely. So um, um, as I, I mentioned before, with uh, we did a, a study with uh, NYU, New York University, um, Stern School, and and they as part of their investigation uh, into the payroll protection program, and and um, the the discovery that we found uh, with uh, using uh, technology to do these data insights and data driven decisions, we were able to dramatically reduce bias in lending in the small business lending space, um, and you know from a, a rate of like three to eight percent lending to black owned business small businesses compared with oculus enabled uh, uh lenders who are using more of the data-driven decisions and some of the data-driven insights off the cash flow analysis we are they were able to lend at a rate of almost 30 uh, percent uh to these uh, black owned businesses and so that is a definite like re- reduction significantly measurable reduction of bias and lending and uh, we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, the, the same trends in, in our data is, is uh, you know, just able to provide significantly more inclusivity um, due to a number number of, of factors. And we're always looking at ways um, on our side to be able to provide uh, more models, more insights, more um, risk signals um, and profiles that go beyond, let's say, the, the traditional, more bias-based uh, legacy models. Um, which could be based on a, a zip code or based upon a you know, particular area or region, and 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 it wasn't directly related to ethnicity or, or culture. Or other, it was it was related to a zip code, but in reality, there was still intrinsic bias. So we've been able to get around that by focusing more on the cash flow attributes and what does the business itself look like how does this business relate to other businesses in their particular area? So those network effects we're seeing a lot of strong value to be able to, um, you know, kind of counter some, um, any number of, uh, you know, uh, conscious or unconscious bias that might be happening out there in the lending market. And again, you, you further expanded that, right, in terms of your support towards small businesses, nonprofits, especially in yeah. the education space. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you're currently supporting um, female entrepreneurs in over 41 countries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we participate uh, really um, strongly with the NYC uh, FinTech Women event, and uh, we support a number of uh, organizations uh, through uh, the FinTech Collect, uh, Collective and uh, FinCapital um, and um, really making sure that we can uh, 
we have a diverse group of folks um, here at Ocralis and uh, support a diverse group of women as part of that New York uh, NYC FinTech Women's event. And uh, it's just supporting and enabling that community and uh, supporting the organization, supporting the, the meetups that are happening and uh, participating in uh, any of the presentations. And most importantly, just really listening to the community, understanding uh, you know, the gaps, understanding the needs and uh, really being able to relate and provide support for all the um, activities that's happening out there and really helping to, to sponsor a new generation of, uh, of, of women owned businesses and scaling up there. And again, like Oculus, obviously, you know, you're doing a lot to help um, businesses navigate through this very tough market. And I think it's fair to say that it is that as such. Um, what, what would you want to see, like, what, what, in terms of um, the company mission? What, what, what holds quite dear to you? What would you want to achieve at Oculus? Yeah, the thing, you know, the one of the big reasons why I joined Oculus um, not only was was the team. It was the diversity, it was that inclusive uh, environment, it was a focus on the people, focus on empowerment, but most importantly, it was the mission. And uh, when you think about something like document processing, at first it, it doesn't sound so sexy, right? But when it comes to the data behind um, you know, the documents and the data that we have in our you know, data store in the back end and, and the insights that we're able to, to drive means that we can really create a better experience for all borrowers means a faster experience a smoother experience a more inclusive experience that was a mission that i could really get behind and it actually really motivates me and the team here and is a big reason why we've been able to attract and hire such an incredibly talented diverse set of employees at Oculus is that they could get behind the mission as well and um, for me, it's all about the, the end borrower. It's all about improving their experiences um, and uh, improving um, whatever they're wh whatever that whatever they're trying to aspire for. Whether it's creating a new business, um, building a better life for themselves, or applying to get a mortgage um, uh, for their family, it's super important to make sure that that's a great experience for borrowers and making sure it's more inclusive. And of course, along the way, our end uh, lenders uh, and fintechs and other customers that we service and mortgage originators that we service, um, we also want to make sure that, you know, that, that they can build their strong brands for the borrowers and they can represent um, and they can meet a lot of the goals that they have around diversity and lending and inclusivity and lending. Um, and that they can uh, also stand behind that and we can provide a solution that helps them to achieve and to get there. And that's the part that I really like is I've seen a big commitment by a lot of our customers um, out in the market to, to um, promoting um, that mission of more inclusivity and lending. And uh, that's great because we can help them be that technology enabler um, um, and really help to promote even more of that for, for them and their customers. I've got to ask this, as a company that is scaling so fast and has such a strong culture, it's indoctrinating to your beliefs, it's in, in the way that you know, there's a mission that goes way beyond just building uh, Oculus as a business. How do you instill those values in your team and how do you ensure that that culture scales as you guys grow and grow and grow? And you know, the reason why this is so interesting is because a lot of the people that are part of the round community, I think 15%, maybe slightly more, 15% um, of the of people on round, you know, they really are looking to build their own company in the next like couple of years. And I think that one thing that is really challenging 
for any entrepreneur, for any founder, is building the culture that's right for the company, but also then yeah. being able to scale it as they grow. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, and you know, we've seen that. We've seen, you know, it's a, it's a classic um, tech. You know, there's folks that love the zero to one phase of startups. Mm. And then there's folks that like the one to 10 phase of, of startups. And then, you know, they want, they're more of the 10 to 100 and uh, becoming a larger enterprise. And um, there's a, just a different experience along the way. And when you do launch a very empowered organization, and you do focus on entrepreneurship and you do focus on innovators, especially in our product team. You know, I, I look at each of our product managers who own their own respective sprint team. And I, we follow the empowered product team model, which if you're familiar with it, is they're literally the CEO of their own company, driving their own outcomes and results accountable to their own goals. And in some cases, accountable to their own, you know, kind of revenue and strong business outcomes. And that is the foundation and birthplace of future entrepreneurs who will choose to go and you know start their own uh, startup in the future. And uh, we encourage that. We think it's an important part of uh, the ecosystem and it's an important part of promoting strength in the broader sector. Um, and um, also I think once you create a great culture you create a very inclusive culture, an empowered culture that goes on into new ventures that they might start in the future. And so I'm used to the pay it forward concept where I want to like help support future entrepreneurs. I want to help support future leaders to do it the right way, to do it in a more inclusive, empowered perspective so that they're going to be you know, also creating that environment. And it's just a better experience for employees um, in any new company that, that they might go out and start and create. So I, I think that that's just a phenomenal um, part of the broader tech ecosystem. And for us, broader FinTech ecosystem um, is, is to make sure that um, culture is king and um, we, we really, um, you know, like uh, we live it, we believe it, we listen to it, we listen to our employees um, beyond just, you know, saying it. And, and, and that's, that's a lot harder to do as you scale along the way, because when you think about scaling evolution, when you're 100%, 200% year over year growth, high growth companies, sometimes they, they tend to forget that along the way. So how do you operationalize uh, that culture at scale? Um, I define it, you know, really you know, kind of tightly as your culture operating system. When you think about like how you live, how do you operationalize the culture? In other words, and it starts at the top, it starts with the leaders. What are the leaders exhibiting in that culture on a day in day in basis? Because the rest of the employees, they watch the leaders. And if the leaders are only paying lip service to the values and aren't actually demonstrating those values, it's not gonna actually be operationalized in your organization. And it could be as mundane as like when you show up in meetings, or it could be as mundane as like, um, um, you know, praise publicly and criticize privately. How do you operationalize that? You know, like if your employees see your le leaders criticizing people publicly, guess what? They're gonna start doing that as well. So really important to make sure that you operationalize your values and, uh, you know, you monitor that as you scale up the organization. I think from an employee's perspective, or at least like from a lot of the engineers that, that, um, that, that I've spoken with, you know, they, they want to work for companies where they like really believe in the mission, they believe in the values. And I, I think that actually 
uh, the future of capitalism is actually very much like mission-led uh, company. Absolutely. And it's also, it's, it's uh, founding teams and C-level executives who are willing and able to be transparent, right? Yeah. yeah. We're definitely living yeah. in a very transparent time. And it, and it allows, it allows every member of the, every employee that you have, every member of your team, every stakeholder, every customer to really understand like who you guys are as a business and yeah. what, what your goal is. I mean, I mean, that said, you know, there's obviously tons going on at Oculus right now. What does the future really look like for you guys? Like what's the end goal? Is there an end goal or do you just keep building and building and building? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I love like, uh, when I look at Google's mission, like, you know, democratizing the world's data, like, I think, you know, in a way, Oculus thinks things very similar, like there's all this data that exists, whether it's digital data, or whether it's data that's accessible from uh, documents, and making that data accessible to businesses for the insights and the depth of, of decisions that might be made in the future is so critical. So we're focused on, on lending. And uh, we focus on providing more value for folks. And I think the future is exciting for allowing this technology to make those decisions and that data available to lenders in a more democratized way so that they can more quickly choose, make decisions, make exception handling. All that really flows into the constant workflow that we have with, uh, with, our, with our lender customers. And that's really important to us. And um, Jonathan, j just one last thing I've got to ask is um, for any anyone looking to join Oculus, um, and for anyone, in fact, anyone looking to build their own like fin their, their own fintech company, what would be your overarching advice for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I would, you know, like we talked about, is focus on the customer. It's so important to talk to a lot of customers. I, I'm reading uh, a really, um, actually, I just finished reading a fantastic book on, I think it was for Harvard Press and Why Businesses Fail and uh, Why Startups Fail by um, Tom, um, Tom uh, Eisenman. And it was phenomenal because uh, they highlighted some startups who just, they failed to talk to enough customers early on they thought they knew the market. In fact, that can get in the way. You think you know a market too well. And so people, and especially in fintechs, there, it, it's usually a lot of folks who've worked in financial services or work in mortgage or work in lending or work in this payment space or these areas. And they're experts on the market. So they think they knew it. They think they know the problem. And they're like, I'm going to go and build it. And they're really convincing. They've got all this expertise. But that can actually get in the way of product market fit success. And so if you don't talk to enough customers upfront and you don't really adopt the design thinking mentality and really validate that you're actually solving a real problem that they want this technology solution to solve and then, you know, get it, get in the way of like, uh, you know, maybe you build something you think is just the most perfect product and you bring it out to market. Nobody wants to buy it, you know, or maybe one person wants to buy it, but then they're not paying you enough money. And so you don't have a sustainable business. So the scale portion, like what do you need to make this business successful? Uh, and what is the customers, are there enough customers out there as a high enough percentage quantitatively? A second mistake I made, see made out there is when they're talking to customers and they um, have three or four conversations and they're listening only to validate what they only believe. And then the ones that say something different, 
uh, then they're like, are they just dismissing them? That gets in the way of like qualitative bias when you only talk to a few customers and you don't validate what quantitatively with a large enough sample size to make sure that yes, this hypothesis you're planning to build does indeed have a validation need for this customer and a reasonable like willingness to pay. And so there's a lot of like untethering what that process looks like. Um, before you ideate and fund and start and get going that that can often get in the way of the eventual success after you've built a product 18 months you know after you've gotten a seed investment or angel investment to go and taking it out into market john it's been brilliant to have you today thank you so much for your time it's very exciting it's really great guys are going to do it on Oculus. so thank you so much lawrence really enjoyed uh being on your podcast and uh yeah wish you the best Thank you.